Blog Talk Radio. I'm a truth terrorist. I'm a knowledge gangster. I'm a black history hitman. I'm a live killer urban gorilla. I gotta be a rough nag. Free the black Panthers. FCBP. Stand for free the black Panthers. If up the black police. That 13th Amendment. Trying to make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not forever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP, stand for free the Black Panthers, and fuck the black police. Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles, but we still here, in the bill here, up coin tail pro. Show, they got me started, lying hearted, I'm the new Mufasa. And I'm all about Umoja, first in Guzu Saba. Let's bring back the black families, we need our father. Single mama, son and daughter, that's root of the problem. Wise up, we wise up. Unity is so powerful. Black banks, black schools, black on black power moves. You tell a lie, you think this shit won't be televised. Black power, be scared guys, that be standing there like they paralyzed. Huh? We say fuck the system, cause we above the system. We keep ARs and pistols, shotguns that's worth the crystal. But that's for self-defense, make sure we have no issues. Be sure to leave it at the door if you have it with you. This for them freedom fighters, that lost their freedom. Until they freedom, we screaming carpe diem. This for the general. King Khalid Muhammad, we gon' make your day a holiday. I fuck me, promise. Free the Black Panthers, FCBP. Stand for free the Black Panthers. If up the Black Police, that 13th Amendment, tryna make a slave of me. You can like my body, can't trap my mind, not forever be free. Okay, free the Black Panthers, FCBP. Stand for free the Black Panthers. If up the Black Police. Feds infiltrated our movements for black leadership roles, but we still here in the bill head up coin tail pro. RBG, 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 RBG. My sisters, my brothers, the council, the elders, that's really all I need. We suited, we booted, don't do it, you stupid, we head to the armory. Black woman and goddess, regardless, my heart just don't fuck with misogyny, bullshit, I don't tolerate it. Melanated, so you gotta hate it. Barack upped up another conversation. Trump finna get inaugurated, damn. Unify or die, nbpp.org. First and foremost, the new Black Panther Party, no, no other Black Panther Party, we're not violent. We are for self-defense and self-determination. And the most violent group in this country are the police. What is taking place by the police department to black people across this country is ethnic cleansing and genocide. It has escalated since the day that Barack Obama was inaugurated in 2008. We have a, 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 a people who are only 13% of the population, yet we make up 80% of the prisons. We have 50% unemployment rate in the black community, and it's actually even more than that because they're not counting our people that are in the prisons. The 13th Amendment said you could not be made a slave or indigenous service unless you commit a crime. The 14th Amendment forced our people to be subjects of this government. We never had any say in that. We need our own nation. Good evening. 
in, in, in your packet. Um, and there are articles regarding uh, movements in other cities. So feel free to keep up. The meeting agenda has been distributed in your board packet. And there is one change that I'd like for you to accept, and that I, I'm offering as chair to postpone the consideration of an action movement uh, that considers the formal, formal um, acceptance of the report proofs. I, I need to and have more legal questions to answer preparing that. So if it's, if it's with your consent to postpone it for our next meeting uh, before we take formal action on uh, the where was it? Yeah, it's, still it's under old business and it's, um, it's, it's under the action item to establish the work groups. I'd like to postpone that for the next meeting, um, if I have your permission to do that. What is it exactly? It, it was our formal action to accept the existence of the work groups, the establishment of the work groups. Um, there are a couple of questions regarding parameters of your responsibilities. There are just some others about uh, the public nature of those meetings. I just need to uh, be more clear on that so that you have more information on what you're going to do. Um, is, is that received your consent? And if I could just add, Mr. Chair, that will not affect the, the meeting schedule that's already in place. Um, this was just an action by the board to formally establish those work groups, but it doesn't change the meeting. And in terms of the work groups and the work that you all have been doing, I'd like to congratulate you on starting and uh, forming your own set of questions already and for both data as well as direction. Thank you. You're really showing the enthusiasm. I hope we would get you show. Thank you. Um, are there other amendments uh, to the agenda? If not, we'll uh, proceed as it is amended uh, with the exception of that work group action item. Um, you also received the August 15th minute uh, in your commission packet, at least the draft of them. Are there any additions or corrections to those minutes? Uh, hearing none, I assume that the minutes will stand as approved as they've been distributed. Do we have unanimous consent? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <coughs> Minutes will be filed and amended. Um, Deborah Clark Jones, the moderator for today's meeting, um, would you mind presenting the commission, reminding us of the commission's charge initiative? Yes. yes. On page five in your board packet, um, you have the uh, Community Reparations Commission charge, and I'll read it. Uh, based on the City Council's July 14, 2020 resolution, the Commission is tasked with issuing a report in a timely manner for consideration for incorporation, incorporation rather, into short and long-term priorities and plans, and providing budget and program priorities for the following to include, but not be limited to, increasing minority home ownership and access to other affordable housing, increasing minority business ownership and career opportunities, developing strategies to grow equity and generational wealth, and closing gaps in health care, education, employment and pay, neighborhood safety, and fairness within criminal justice. I will also read the meeting objectives, and uh, they will be amended based on the amendment um, of the agenda. 
But the objectives of um, tonight's meeting are, one, to learn about principles for laying the foundation for local reparations from national expert and reparations activist, Mr. Cam Howard, commissioner with the National African American Reparations Commission. He's also director of Reparations United um, and has also been a lifetime member of NCOBRA. Um, and the second objective now is to also receive updates on Buncombe County's reparations budget action, uh, the meeting venue assessment, and um, also to touch on the commission's two-day meeting uh, currently planned for September. I would also just like to quickly note that you have um, an overview, um, a high-level overview of some of the topics for the remainder of this year, and you will be getting more detail um, as that is developed. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we're on um, Roman numeral six regarding the appointment of uh, an alternate as a full commissioner. And regrettably, Kelsey Simmons um, has informed us that she's no longer able to serve on the commission. She has uh, other commitments that have interfered. And I'm but I'm happy to um, announce that the Lincoln County Board of Commissioners has named alternate Dwayne Richardson. Dwayne, would you? We're there, baby. <laughs> First time hearing of it, that's a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, since we took a few minutes ago, so, uh, honor. We're, we're happy to accept you as a full voting member. Um, yeah. Our moderators, um, as I uh, just talked about the, 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 the stages that we're involving in terms of understanding the reparations and what this process is, is doing. The last few meetings, we've, we've involved ourselves with uh, perspectives that were given to us by professors out of Duke University, um, uh, representatives from INCOBRA, um, and tonight is another perspective that we are looking forward to hearing. Um, what is reparations and what should we be looking forward to, to define it is, is part of our considerations tonight. And helping us do this would be Mr. Cam Howard. Um, his uh, presentation is entitled uh, laying the foundation for local representation, for preparations. Um, I have an introduction. As, as I was reading it, I, I want to read this to you. It, 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 this is a synopsis. <laughs> Distillation. Ken Howard is internationally respected for his uh, reparations work. Last month, through his new organization, Reparations United, he led a cohort of reparations organizations called Global Circle Reparations. Um, in healing to the Vatican to deliver reparations uh, presentment to the Catholic Church. The presentment laid out the church's role in the transatlantic slave trade, the legacy of those harms, and the reparatory justice programs required uh, from the church. In 2016, Cam was a uh, key voice in elevating the importance of reparations with the United Nations Working Group of experts for people of African descent during the visit to the United States. As a member of, uh, of National African American Reparations uh, Commission, um, he's represented, he's been chosen to lead a group of scholars, attorneys, and clergy, and grassroots leaders as the revised uh, House Bill 40, the federal reparations proposal, uh, the consideration for Congress. As lead writer of the new bill, um, emphasis was changed from being just a study of what maybe 
lead to reparations to an actual bill for remedy for reparations. He's working with, uh, currently with uh, representatives Sheila Jackson Lee and uh, the Reparations Strategy Group to move H.R. 40 into law. Cam is a lifetime member of NCOBRA as well as uh, National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America um, going back to 2006. He's worked with older, older woman Robin Rue uh, Simmons who led Evanston, Illinois' uh, reparations effort. In June 20, successfully led Chicago's efforts to become the second city to establish a reparations program. He documented key lessons learned, guidance, and, 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 and through his uh, book that we have in front of us, Laying the Foundation for Local Reparations. And I encourage you to read it. Um, it it's thin, but it's heavy. Um, Ken was just returning uh, from Accra uh, in Ghana, um, where he was a key contributor to Advancing Justice and Reparations and Racial Healing Summit uh, earlier this month. Um, many of you may realize that our reparations efforts here locally are in harmony with reparations efforts on the continent regarding damages from, from enslavement as well as colonialism. Um, Cameron Howard was involved in, and has based much of his work and came out of the reparations following the apartheid. Uh, you see, what we're doing is small, but it's, it's significant. Um, please welcome me and join in Cam Howard to Asheville. Cam. Thank you all for. Uh, that welcome. Uh, I also want to thank uh, personally uh, Ms. Jones uh, for inviting me here to Asheville. Uh, thank the commission chair and co-chair for accepting that invitation. I want to thank the commission uh, yourself for this tremendous work that you've taken upon yourself to do. Uh, we, are, we are the people we've been waiting for. We are making history together. Each, each one of us here in this room. I want to thank the staff of the city of Asheville for the work that you're doing to uh, lead, this, lead this work here in, in your city. I want to thank Brother uh, Keith Young and Brother Rob Thomas for reaching out to me early on and back in 2020 and uh, sharing me what you were doing here and certainly that excited me then and excites me now to see what you're doing. Um, as the chairman said, this is, seems like it's just work here on the local level for what you're doing as national and international reverberations. Uh, the African world, you talked about me uh, leading an effort to the Vatican. It was the Roman Catholic Church that inaugurated the transatlantic slave trade, that told the Portuguese government to go into Africa, to plunder, to subdue its inhabitants, and commit its progeny, its children, to perpetual enslavement. What we know of the transatlantic slave trade came out of that order, out of that edict, out of that papal bull, and the subsequent papal bulls that followed. And so what happens at any space in, on the planet where we rise up for reparations, we're benefiting and we're, we are leading and we're benefiting every other African or African descendant on the planet because they now see that it's possible and see that there's something that they can emulate. And it gives us all hope, and it gives us all power. So thank you for 
the energy that you're putting into this movement. <coughs> the tablet that I wrote, Atlanta Foundation for Local Reparations, was something that Alderman Robin Simmons out of Evanston suggested that I write. Uh, we had just passed a local, rep, uh, local initiative in uh, Chicago about six months after the Evanston initiative, and then Asheville had just recently passed one a month later. You had passed your, your resolution, your uh, legislation about a month later. And we were getting calls all around the country about what is local reparations, what is local reparations. So I looked at what was common and what Robin had did in, in Evanston, what we had did in Chicago, talking to Rob, what you did, and so you, know, you fed that pamphlet as well. And try to look at what are the principles, working with NARC, uh, that we should all be focused on as we try to do this work on a local level. And so that produced Land Foundation. This is dated 2020, but actually I'll date this for this particular uh, presentation. Uh, but that was something I put together in 2020, but it's been updated for this presentation, so I'll just get into it. So um, I'll talk about a little introduction. I'll go into local reparations pre-2018. Uh, always look at the historical foundation of everything that we do. Uh, because it's there that you're able to see clearly what's taking place when you have an historical framework. And so I'll talk a little, about, a little bit about local reparations pre-2018. I'll talk about local reparations 2019 to the current, where we are now. I'll share how all that we do in the reparations space as black people, no matter where we are, it all began into 2021 at the Durban World Conference Against Racism. That's the foundation of the work that we're doing. We need to know this global foundation, this international foundation from which all of our work rests. I'll talk a little bit about the global framework and then uh, just uh, finish with the local reparations. So where we are today, we had a unique time in America's history not since the Reconstruction, the period from 1865 to 1877, had you had this much energy in this country around the issue of redress for the crimes committed against our people in this country. At that time, you had both houses of Congress debating the issue. The president was fully into this issue. The, 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 uh, the army uh, was fully into this issue. Every university was writing about this issue. And now we're in that space. It's not, we haven't been in that space in this country since that particular time. It's very unique. We have to seize the time. Uh, we can't go backwards. Uh, you're, you're charged with moving your city forward. And there are some areas that this city and every city in America has been afraid to deal with. And you're charged to bring those issues to the forefront in a way to move justice forward, in a way that moves healing forward, not only for our community, but this city and nation can heal if we do this work collectively and we do it correctly. There's research data that shows 
And we have to make this argument more and more as we move forward, especially when it comes to the funding aspect of this work, that the research shows that every dollar you put into black reparations, you get a 100 to 200% return, not a 10% return, not a 15%, not a 50% return, but a 100 to 200% return. That research was done by Citibank about two years ago. You want to look for that document. So as we do this work, it doesn't have to be contentious between black and white America. We don't have to focus on the rape. We don't have to focus on, we know that happened, and we know there's some injury that still results from that, but we don't have to focus on that. We want to focus on the healing. And, and making our argument for the resources for those crimes that were committed, we can also say that you benefit also. And that's really where we want to focus. There's been unprecedented collaboration in the movement right now. We have allies in the Japanese American community. We have allies in the Jewish community, the Jewish reform movement. Came out with a resolution in support of H.R. 40. Uh, we sent a letter to Congress and to the President. We have 350 organizations that have signed on to that letter, Why We Can't Wait. It's the name of the letter. You can uh, go online and look for that letter, Why We Can't Wait. Over 350 national and some uh, local organizations signed on. Uh, majority of them are non-black. Unprecedented allyship uh, in the religious, in the multi-faith community, as well as even in the business community, Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream is a major supporter of reparations. Uh, there was a bank, and I'm sorry I don't have the name of that bank, uh, the national <coughs> bank that came out also uh, last year, late last year, in favor of reparations. Uh, university, the philanthropic community right now are putting a tremendous amount of assets or capital into the movement, funding into the movement to move it forward. So we're in an unprecedented time. There is so much energy in this movement on the local level. When I got into this movement, everything was national, everything was federal, everything was pushing the federal legislation forward. And up until probably two years ago, 90% of the energy was still on the federal level. Now, across the country, 70, 80% of the energy around this reparations issue is on the local level of what we can do in our own spaces. Local reparations prior to where we are now began with cities across the country sending letters in in support of H.R. 40. Um, there were over 50 or so cities back in there uh, when H.R. Uh, 40 was first introduced the first five or ten years. We were getting cities around the country to, to, to uh, sign uh, resolutions and submit resolutions at their level in support of H.R. 40, and we would send those to Congress as we were trying to lobby Congress to uh, more and more congresspersons to sign on to uh, federal legislation. Additionally, at the local level, we were creating what we call slavery disclosure laws. It started first in, in Massachusetts. Uh, Chicago was the first city. Massachusetts was the first state. California was another state. Uh, that created slavery disclosure laws, and some uh, a dozen or so m or more cities 
uh, created slavery disclosure laws. And what these laws stated is that any corporation or institution that wanted to do business with the city had to research their history and disclose whether or not they had any involvement, any complicity in the enslavement, any benefit from the enslavement of our ancestors, whether they were corporations like railroads, banking institutions, uh, insurance institutions. Uh, we're seeing more and more that there were other um, corporations that still exist today, like um, in Atlanta, I think there's a, a Chattahoochee Brick, brick Company. Uh, this company had made bricks with primarily with uh, convict leaf labor. Uh, we know that whole system post-enslavement was worse than enslavement when it came to the survivability of our ancestors. Well, they worked them during that period, 17 to 18 hours a day. Literally worked them to death for another 20, 30, 40 years after enslavement to propel, to deal with the labor shortage of these southern states because after enslavement there was there was a huge labor shortage so they went out and they arrested Africans and, you know, used them to supply another form of enslavement. But we know some of those corporations and institutions still exist. We know in the state of Alabama, after enslavement, 80% of its revenue was from convict leasing. And you can probably look at, that's something for some black student unions to, to go and look at every state and see how, you know, how much their revenue was based on convict leasing after enslavement. And these are ways that we also make our argument uh, for state and local reparations because it was after enslavement that, that the injury continued. And, and in huge ways it continued. Not just um, in minor insignificant ways, but in huge ways the crimes and injuries continued post-enslavement. We also put together what's called reparations refer referendums where we attempted to put the issues, some issues around reparations on the ballot through being a, rep a rep referendum. For instance, in Chicago, I know we, there was one done in Philadelphia around uh, community control of police as a reparations issue. In Chicago, we did one around, um, around the slave disclosure, around these corporations mandating that they pay because the slave disclosure ordinance, the way it was written in Chicago, it simply had to disclose. But we did a referendum, it weren't successful, but we did a referendum to raise the issue around not only after disclosing, should they, were they mandated or obligated to engage in the repetitive initiative with uh, the community, uh, the black community, in addition to just disclosing. And then in 2014, Illinois produced the first Transatlantic Slave Trade Commission. Uh, California has a, and that was a, a study commission based on the federal bill at the time, H.R. Uh, 40, which was, as the chairman said, was basically a study bill and said that would come out and, and conclude with recommendations. And what we did with the federal bill was to not only study, the federal, the federal bill initially was designed to determine whether or not there was continued injury. Let's look at all that happened, and uh, 
Let's see if there's continued injury. Let's see if there's any legacy of that that's impacting black people today. Because it wasn't something that was accepted. In fact, everybody was saying, that happened so long ago, y'all know, know that, right? It happened so long ago, why don't y'all just get over it? Yeah. And so, Congressman Kanye said, well, we need to study this and determine if there's a continued legacy. In 2014, uh, 2015, when NARC was created, we said there's already been too many studies uh, to determine the continued injury. The United Nations in 2001, which I'll talk about the World Conference Against Racism, says they globally there's continued injury. Not just in America, not just in South America, the Caribbean, but globally, wherever you find African people on the continent, in Europe, there's continued injury from the crimes committed during the transatlantic slave trade, colonialism, apartheid, and neocolonialism, and what I'm calling here in America that we exist in today, the neo-apartheid. Um, yeah, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so H.R. 40 and the California bill, they lifted what we put in H.R. 40, the, the purpose and findings right out of the H.R. 40 bill and laid the basis word for word for the California bill. So the new bill, in addition to, well, I'm not going to say studying whether or not, but it's, just, it's, it's focused, it begins with the premise, with the fact that there's continued injury. It begins from that premise. And, and so it, then it starts with what was the extent of the harms, of the crimes, and what is the extent of the injury that has resulted from those crimes. That's what it's designed to study. And from there, you get your output. But I'm getting ahead of my star. So the California, so Illinois produced a bill that was patterned after the original H.R. 40 in 2014, and uh, not much has happened from that study. So it showed us that that was not the direction to go. So on the local level, we're charged to deliver reparative and healing initiatives at this particular level. Your goal is not just to present, produce a report that details all that happened and what's the current state. I think uh, the chairman did a great job in, in his state of uh, Black Asheville detailing the current state. Of course, you're going to flesh that out in more detail in your, your impact areas. But your ultimate goal is to deliver reparative initiatives to the people. That's what we're charged to do on the local level, is to deliver repair. Our work has to be about looking at our communities and say, what will they look like in a healthy state? All the data, I was talking with the chairman earlier, you look at the data, it's depressing. Of the state of black America, state of black Chicago, the state of black Edison, the state of black, I'm sure the state of black Asheville. It's depressing. If we look at the data, but we have to be visual we have to have the vision, I should say, to imagine what our community will look like healed, 
and we have to get us there. That's your charge, to get this community to that place. And it's perfect that you have short, medium, and long-term uh, charge to come up with, with solutions in those three time periods. It's perfect that you, you, you created your legislation in that fashion. Because a lot of it is long-term. When I initially wrote the piece, Land and Foundation Local Reparations, I called it Reparations Triage. You know, looking at what are the few aspects of my community that are in need, dire need of resources. Because we knew that on local levels, some level, you only have limited resources. You can't do everything. You can't get your entire community of the wholeness in a short amount of time with the, with the limited resources. So what are the one, two, three things that needed to be done right away? And let's begin to deliver some repair in that, those areas. I'm kind of jumping, but y'all follow me? Yeah. All right. So uh, that's our charge. Currently, um, New York was one of the first states to, to create a uh, reparations, uh, some legislation that didn't pass. It hasn't passed yet, I'm just going to say it hasn't passed yet, but in 2018, it was the first to, since um, 2014, uh, for a legislator, um, non-federal legislators to produce a local reparations uh, initiative. And then we know in 2019, Evanston, which was successful, Chicago and Asheville both were in 2020. And uh, California in 2020, Illinois, New Jersey, and, and right now there's over 100 cities that have uh, uh, that are in the process of pushing for some type of local legislation. So I started off by saying this all began with Durban. Prior to the Durban World Conference Against Racism, we were in this mode of trying to convince advocate, trying to convince, trying to persuade, trying to influence that something was going on in our community that wasn't right and that was connected to this deep past history. And the powers that be were not buying it at all. As I stated when it was like, you know, get over it. it happened so long ago. That was the response. But at the World Conference Against Racism, where 195 countries came together to deal with this issue of race, put on by the United Nations, over 14,000 people attended the World Conference Against Racism in Durban, South Africa. The outcome document of these world conferences are the leading thought globally on a particular issue. And so this outcome document was very important to this particular uh, to this issue about racism, xenophobia, and other related intolerances. And what the African world collectively decided, and when I say the African world, I'm initially talking about the United States, the Caribbean, and uh, Central America, Latin America, the diaspora, or the African descended world, those who descended from Africans who had been enslaved here in the West. But we decided 
as a body was that we would not go all go, all go to Durban with our own individual issues. You know, what, what y'all experiencing in America? What y'all experiencing in Colombia? What y'all experiencing black folk in Brazil or in Jamaica? We, we weren't going to do that. We were going to have a unified front, go to the Durban and say three things must come out of this particular world conference. One is that the China line slave trade, enslavement, colonialism, apartheid, which is called Jim Crow in America, but it was apartheid, were crimes against humanity. And the reason we wanted to be labeled crimes against humanity is because crimes against humanity have no statute of limitation. And they're the most egregious crimes that a government can commit or allow to be committed against a civilian population, not a population of people they're at war with. It's like genocide. And so we wanted to raise the transatlantic slave trade up to the same standard. We also wanted to come out of this document, out of this conference, that there was an economic basis to these crimes. When you look around the world and you see the prosperous nations on this planet, they all had their root in the transatlantic slave trade. The root of their wealth was built out of the transatlantic slave trade. And you look at all these countries that are poor and impoverished, they were all the victims of these crimes. In the Human um, Development Index, I think it's put out by the... Uh, World Bank or one of the International Monetary Fund or one of those global uh, organs. They have a four-tier uh, measurement of countries' development. They have very high human development, medium human development, low human development, and very low human development. Eighty percent of European nations are in high human development. Zero African nations are in high human development. 69% of African nations are in very low human development. Zero European nations are in very low, very low human development. That all is evidence of the crimes committed by the global European world against the global African world. And so they wanted that to come out of this world conference against racism that the economic situation that people on this planet exist is not arbitrary. It's not because of, in America, personal responsibility, right? You're poor because you choose to be poor. No, that's not the case. And so the international community debated this issue. The United States walked out, you know, this superior complex, walked out, but still they have to uphold to the outcome document. They concluded that there was an economic basis and that we see those, see it in the living conditions of black people all around the planet. And finally, if the crimes were committed and there's evidence of injury, then reparations is obligated. And that was the final thing that we went to this world conference to get this global body to agree to. Transatlantic slave trade was crime against humanity. That's the economic basis to these crimes, and that repair is obligatory. So I can't jump in. I'm, I'm all ahead of you all. <laughs> Sorry. So um, that's what came out of Durban. So no matter where we at, 
fighting for reparations, fighting for the repair, the healing, the wholeness of our people, whether we're here in, whether we're here in Asheville or in Chicago where I live or I was in Accra uh, last week, we were in Italy a couple weeks before that. No matter where we are, pushing this issue of repair, it all stems from this particular framework. And we have to be clear when we're talking about this issue that we understand exactly what it was and what it is and how we got here. These were international crimes of the highest level. And they produced a range of illness, a range of injury. And according to international law, it is obligatory that the injury, that the, the Injuring parties engaged in redress. Now, the the, world, the United Nations does not have enforcement mechanisms anywhere. No. No, they can't enforce it. They can state it. You know, um, if there was no police here in Asheville, a lot of things that would be considered crimes would just go, you know, unaddressed. But there is an enforcement mechanism for street violations and theft and murder and burglary. There are enforcement mechanisms called the police. There is no enforcement mechanism for the repair and healing of African people. That is something that we have to do. That's something that you have to do. This commission is the enforcement mechanism. You have to bring allies along. We could, we, in Cobra, in 1987 when it was formed, we stated that we couldn't do this without high cells. We just numerically didn't have the numbers. You're going to have to bring allies along. And, and one way to do it, doing that is how I stated earlier, is to demonstrate the benefit. It, that the repair, not only the psychological benefit or the psychological health benefit to white America because you know, white America got some psychological issues that they need to deal with. And this will help them deal with it. But aside from that, the economic benefit to this nation dealing with this issue of redress and justice. This is a justice, this is a planetary justice issue we're dealing with. So this is particular language to the World Con to the outcome document of the World Conference Against Racism. We acknowledge the slavery and the slave trade, including the transatlantic slave trade, for appalling tragedies in the history of humanity, not only because of their abhorrent barbarism, but also in terms of their magnitude, organized nature, and especially the negation of the essence of the victim, and further acknowledge that slavery and the and the slave trade are a crime against humanity and should have always been so. We recognize that apartheid and genocide in terms of international law constitutes crimes against humanity. And it's, it's important that we use international language because that's our foundation of our strength. It was not Jim Crow segregation. It was apartheid. Apartheid means, one of its definitions, separate development. Not only backed by a tremendous force and terrorism. You had separate resources went into 
white schools, then they went into black schools, and you produced a, a development out of that that was separate. And we see the effects of that, that separate development today. Anywhere you see disparities in America, racial disparities, you're viewing the evidence of apartheid. Whether it's in education, whether it's in housing, whether it's in criminal justice, whether it's in, in wealth, wherever you see disparities in how you're treated in the hospital, wherever you see disparities, and as the author um, Tom Burrell states that black people are on the bottom of every good list in America and on the top of every bad list. That's evidence of apartheid, not Jim Crow segregation, which is this, you know, vague, euphemistic term that has no legal weight behind it. It was apartheid, and it has legal weight behind it. And we have to use these terms when we're talking about what has happened to us and not to our people. It is from these terms that we get our ability to, uh, to fight back, fight in the way that we win. There are three periods of those crimes here in America. I say white settler states. America is a white settler state, uh, as is uh, Canada and uh, Australia, three of the top white settler nations. There were three periods of those crimes. When I was in Accra, I argued that uh, on the African continent, it was also three periods. Uh, for them, for us, it was the period of enslavement, uh, 15, so 15, probably 1550. Uh, the British came in in 1619, but it was Spanish and French was here much earlier. The um, period of enslavement uh, ended officially in 1865. Uh, it grew into a new period of enslavement or enslavement by another name. There were certain parts of that. But officially it was called uh, the apartheid period or Jim Crow. And then uh, that ended so apparently with the passage of the Civil Rights Bill, the Voting Rights Act, and the Fair Housing Act. Uh, and today we live in a, in a neo-apartheid state because the disparity still exists. And the institutions that create the disparities still exist, right? And it's the institutions that create that are the basis of the underdevelopment or the, the difference in development among blacks and whites in this country. And so we still live in an apartheid state. It's just different. It's a new form, just like enslavement. When enslavement ended, um, sharecropping began. Enslavement by another name. Convict leasing began. Enslavement by another name. We still exist in the apartheid state in this country. Your job, again, is to look at those systems and seek ways in which you can um, <coughs> illuminate how they continue, and then, most importantly, uh, determine what ways you can you can use to uh, put an end to them. Also, from the uh, how am I looking on time? Okay. Also, from the World Conference Against Racism, we recognize that colonialism from the Durban Declaration Program of Action that came out of the World Conference. We recognize that colonialism has led to 
to racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance. The preceding uh, paragraph talks about uh, apartheid also. So this also uh, states for apartheid. We recognize that apartheid colonialism has led to racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerance, that Africans and people of African descent and people of Asian descent and indigenous people were victims of apartheid and colonialism and continue to be victims of its consequences, meaning that it continues. Those actions did not end when the actions ended. It continues to have effect. We acknowledge that the suffering caused by these actions and affirm that wherever and whenever it occurred, it must be condemned as the reoccurrence prevented. We further regret that the effects and persistence of those structures and practices have been among the factors contributing to the lasting social and economic inequalities in many parts of the world today. So we didn't have to argue anymore over whether or not there was continued injury. So when we look at the crimes that were committed during enslavement, during apartheid, and, and now in this neo-apartheid state, we can say that in each of those periods, there was genocide, there was plunder, and there was separate development in each of those areas. The apartheid period was, was primarily separate development, but genocide was occurring then, as it's occurring now, when you look at the life expectancy difference among blacks and whites in this country, that difference shows that conditions are such that lead to those differences. And when you have conditions that lead to early death or to death in the community, it doesn't have to be you're killing them outright, but if you have conditions that lead to their early death, that's also a condition of genocide under the Geneva Convention. When you have infant mortality rates higher among our children than, it, than white children, that's evidence of genocide. That's evidence of, of conditions that these mothers have to experience and the children experience upon birth that are different from the experiences and conditions of white mothers. Maternal mortality rate, the same. That's evidence of genocide. The mass amount of murdering that happens in our communities among black youth is evidence of current forms of genocide. The conditions, the historical conditions that our young people grow up in is evidence that genocide is continuing in our community here in this neo-apartheid state. The plunder continues. In 2007 to 2012, $200 billion was stolen from the black community during the predatory lending. 60% of the wealth that we built from 1865 to 2007, 60% was wiped out. Wiped out. Uh, $4 billion in Chicago. I don't know what the price is here in Asheville, what that number is in Asheville, but there's still plunder from our community. And apartheid, again, if there's any disparity, racial disparity in Asheville today is evidence of continued apartheid. And so when you generate your report, you want to look for these disparities these evidence of genocide, the evidence of plunder. 
current plunder, the evidence of apartheid. This is what we had to do on a local level. In, in Cobra, where I talked about crimes were committed, injuries exist, and Cobra initially said that those injury areas were, the minimum injury areas were five. Economic development, criminal justice, or criminal punishment, education, health, and people who deals with our culture and the ability and the theft of our, um, not only our culture, our language, and, and, and things of that nature, but our sense of sovereignty. We all came here as sovereign people from sovereign nations. And we lost that. And we lost the, 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 the yearning to be a nation within this nation. And all the benefits of, of, of peoplehood that comes with that, especially on the international level. America is a multinational state. There's over 250 indigenous American nations recognized in this state. Why couldn't there be one, two, or three African-descendant nations in this state? It's a multinational state, but we lost our sense of service. So anyway, in Cobra was big on, on nationhood and peoplehood. The California Task Force looked at housing, education, environmental justice, family, culture, employment, criminal justice, mental, physical health, and the wealth gap. And, and in my updated slide, because I updated it, I showed that your um, task force or your commission looked at economic development, criminal punishment, education, health, and housing. But we're all thinking on the same level that there's categories of injury that we have to address. And so you have to flesh it out. You have to use the data to integrate, indicate the degree of that injury, and that degree of injury is the basis of the repair, of the repair of the initiative that's going to come forward. And you, you're charged to generate that report. And, I, and, and when I was hearing... Um, the moderator, Ms. Jones, speak today and reading the mission. I'm glad in there it was not just you were going to generate this report and make recommendations, but that you were also going to develop the budget and the, the, and the proposals to address the, the, uh, the injuries. And that's what your data is going to direct you on. How much needs to go to this? How much needs to go to that as I'm preparing these proposals? Yeah. Um, this is more of the language in Durban with the view of closing those dark chapters in history and as a matter of reconciliation and healing. We invite the international community as members to honor the memory of the victims. And it goes, out, goes on to um, listing some of the main characteristics of repair, of reparations. Restoring the, the dignity of the, of the victim, that's called satisfaction. Um, to halt and reverse, to halt the, let me read that, we are aware of the moral obligations on the part of all concerned states and call upon states to take appropriate and effective measures to halt and reverse the lasting consequences of those practices. We also strongly reaffirm as a pressing requirement of justice that victims of human rights violations suffering from racism 
racial discrimination, xenophobia, and related intolerances, especially in light of their vulnerable situation socially and culturally and economically, should be assured of having access to justice. These commissions, including legal assistance where appropriate and effective and appropriate protection and remedies, including the right to seek just and adequate reparation or satisfaction for any damage suffered. Now, couched in all of that, in these paragraphs, are the five components of four reparations. In it, 1800-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1820-1
to the situation, and we're going to create something totally different everywhere we are, because that's who we are as a people. This tremendously creative people in the midst of all of the harm that is being targeted toward us as a people. Compensation. Compensation is, I say compensation is anything that's put a tick on your asset column, on your balance sheet. It could be uh, anything that builds wealth. It could be a grant for business. It can be uh, uh, some type of tax benefit that you can you have more to spend or more to invest. It can be a direct check. It doesn't have to be a direct check. I know. <clears throat> that's, the, that's the one thing when you talk about reparations that the majority of white people are going to say no. That's why we in COVID we never led with that. We never shied away from it. But we never led with that. And when you find people, that's all they want to talk about is a check. You have to question whether or not they seriously want reparations. Right? Because we know that we need allies to move this forward. And we know what's going to turn off the majority of the people who don't look like us. Why would we lead with that? We don't dismiss it because it's a part of international law. We're not going to lead with that. It's deserved, it's owed to us, you are obligated, but you and I can agree on restitution. There was a, a poll, on the Demo, uh, Democrat, there was a poll by Huffington Post that said 70% of Democrats favor reparations in the form of education and economic development. So if I want you to join this discussion, what do you think I'm going to talk about? <laughs> right? But you and I... Brother Rod, we can chop it up all day long about this check, right? We won't. <laughs> so um, this is just how we, we win. It's talking about how we win. Satisfaction is what, you, what, what has to happen to return the dignity back to people whose dignity was eroded as a result of the crimes you committed against them. Chief among uh, satisfaction is an apology. Truth and reconciliation, museums, monuments, markers, curriculum change, yes. mm-hmm. telling the truth, <laughs> teaching the truth, right? Because our children are turned off by this BS in some of these schools because it's just that. It's BS. Teach our children the truth. There are studies that show that not only adults, but not only children, but adults who know more about the African history do better in life. <laughs> right? We know we have the data to prove what our children need to know about themselves to have better students and better young people. And rehabilitations for the heart, mind, and spirit damage that has resulted uh, to a people as a result of the crimes that were committed against them. So these are the five components in international law of what reparations must, the outcomes of any reparations uh, policy. Now, on the local level, you're not going to be doing everything in all of these areas. But we suggest that you look to this when you're crafting your proposals. Some you may be able to do right away. You can get a street naming change or take down some, you know, some things of that nature. Uh, and some is, is, is going to be uh, a little bit difficult to do, but you're charged to do it. 
So I want to just open up your mind to that. And then we have what is called direct benefits and collective benefits. Direct benefits are directly to the individual. Cash payment, a uh, education grant, or you know, tuition grant or something like that, or a business grant, down payment assistance, uh, those are forms of compensation. Compensation does not have to go to everybody black in the city. If you tie it to a particular restitution program like Evanston did. So they tied their, their compensation to trying to alleviate a housing issue where they were losing black residents, blacks cannot afford the down payment, many of them could afford a housing payment, a mortgage payment, but they couldn't afford a down payment to buy a home, so they would move out of Evanston and buy out of Evanston. And so to, adjust, to account for that, they created this policy that if you were in Evanston during that Jim Crow period, and that's really the only criteria. You just have to be there during that period and prove that you were there during that period of housing discrimination, then you can apply to receive compensation in the form of a grant, housing grant, either to uh, use as a down payment, use to pay down your mortgage, or to uh, repair your home. So compensation, so I, I say that so we just don't throw compensation out the window because we got $4 million. We can't divide that up against, you know, 20 million or 20,000 people and think we're going to get, you know, any type of repair out of that, right? That's not going to happen. So I would suggest, so I just threw that out there, compensation does not have to be directed toward the entire community but can be directed toward particular injuries. So that's a form of direct benefit, collective benefits, is, is benefits that, that affect the entire community. For instance, the curriculum change or uh, something in that nature. Uh, most of your benefits, quite a bit of your benefits are going to be collective. Let me look at some examples. So um, go down a yellow period. I did this. This is in the book, so I just go from the book. Uh, this is under restitution. So in Evanston, they were looking at business grants, which is a direct benefit. You see the D and the C besides that yellow column. So the D is for direct benefits. The C is for collective benefits. So a school, they wanted a black school. They closed the black school from 20 years ago. So that's a collective benefit. All the children in Evanston would benefit from a black school. All right. So that's a collective benefit. Housing, um, there was... Uh, that's a direct benefit. Uh, Co-ops and kitchens, workspace is a direct benefit. And then there was some education stuff, which uh, are direct, and then they have something for as collective. The compensation, see, I'll stick with uh, Edison and the yellow. People wanted them to write a check. They decided they were going to do that. But getting matching funds from others outside of the city was a collective benefit. The established community trust fund, um, some other stuff. So you just want to be as creative. Whatever the data 
demonstrates that you collect is going to tell you, it's going to point you to the repetitive initiatives that you're going to have to create. And four keys to success, identifying the organic demand. You, you've done that from the ground. You, you identified that this was something that needed to happen in Nashville. You had a sophisticated legislator, Brother Young, to lead the process, and you have to have that in cities. Uh, the legislator has to be committed to the process. Uh, for all stakeholder representation, you uh, attempted to do that with your commission selection. And uh, this last piece on discipline struggle is something that we're seeing, not seeing at all on the California level, this discipline struggle. One of the things that all of us must agree on is that the repair must take place. What we can have our differences on is what those initiatives will look like and what is the priority. And those things, you know, we can debate that without being acrimonious, without being disrespectful. And we see a lot of that at the California level. And what we try to do in talking uh, locally is to warn our, our people of that and to, to out, just offer some principal guidelines for how we engage in, in, in um, our differences. And one of those guidelines is that we always want to have what is called a reparations united front. That we can have our differences individually but publicly Publicly, and that's the thing, publicly, we're going to stay in one voice. Because all of this could crumble tomorrow. And we, that's just the nature of white America. <laughs> I mean, they just raided a, a, one of a, an old revolutionary group. They're not making any trouble. They're still talking revolutionary rhetoric. <laughs> they're not, you know, engaging. The FBI just raided their, their, their house. So we know that this nation can come, come heavily against anybody anytime they want to. And we don't want to give them any reason to do so out of our own uh, volition. So we want to engage in principle struggle. We want all of our debate to be internal. And when we go to the media... When we broadcast in the social media, we want to have a, uh, a united principle position that repair is leading the way, right? Repair is leading the way. And so with that, I'm going to conclude, and thank you for your time, and thank you again for inviting me here. Thank
process of where we will get to, do you have any quick strategic that you would share to help us get our allies to understand that everyone benefits from the process? Right. So I, I talked about the uh, Citigroup study, Citibank. Citigroup is one of the three largest banks in this country. One of their vice presidents happened to be African American. Uh, did the study on what would America be if they had paid black reparations 20 years ago, right? And the trillions of dollars that it would have been interested that it would have put into the economy. Uh, millions of jobs created, trillions of dollars in business revenue. Uh, uh, the trillions, billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars saved in social uh, social uh, programs to address some of the challenges that result of uh, limited resources in some communities, crime, violence, that type of thing. Uh, there was also uh, I was sharing with the uh, with the chairman earlier um, the Federal Reserve Chair in Atlanta uh, supports reparations. Um, in Chicago, they did a cost of segregation report that showed how much the city lost and how much the city would have gained if they didn't have this segregated policies, I would suggest that segregation is not a bad thing. Aggregation is not a bad thing, but the resources were separate. That's the part that piece. So it's not that black people living by themselves because we prospered at one time, but the policy that, that challenged that uh, determined some of these outcomes, these disparate outcomes. So you can look at those type of reports um, to show how um, there's a cross-community benefit to plan black reparations. Um, sister, I can't remember her name, but just recently wrote, wrote a book about the zero-sum game. That Heather McGee. Heather McGee. That's, that's another uh, source. And this new organization that I founded, Reparation United, we were looking at having a national discussion on this issue and bringing Heather McGee. Uh, another scholar who uh, just wrote something, uh, I don't remember his name either, but just wrote something also on uh, this whole issue of how reparations, uh, all of America benefits by paying black reparations, right? Uh, so I would offer that. Thank you uh, for sharing your expertise. Really appreciate it. Um, can you unpack the first item that's on this list, identifying organic demand, but also incorporating organic demand into processes like these as well? So what I meant by identifying organic demand is that in each city, a push for reparations have to come up from the people, right? You can have uh, a legislator who's key to this piece, but if it's not supported by the people, then it's got, it's, it's, the process of getting the way you're going to want to go is going to be met with a lot of challenges, 
And so that's why, you know, the people have to, to, to the masses or, you know, in socialist terms, the masses. But the people have to uh, direct the process forward. So that's what I'm, you know, what I was referring to, the organic demand. And second part of that? Yeah, um, strategies for incorporating organic demand into processes like these. Right. So one of the things that we looked at in Edison early on uh, when I was mentoring the sister was that she had to have the community support. She had to bring the community in. She had brought the community in on a large scale by having these public, uh, these public uh, hearings, uh, it weren't hearings, but public uh, sessions talking about reparations, what you think would be. So, you know, those gatherings, the community had a voice. But when it came to the nuts and bolts of moving forward, there was not as much community support, narrow, tailored community support. So we had to talk to her about building what we call a stakeholders group within the community to help lead this, to be those voices of the voices. And so now that there is a reparations commission, there's also a evidence of reparations authority, stakeholder authority which is comprised of the community. It's separate from the city commission, but it's an organically grown body that part of what I talked about, what I didn't share, was in the book, was the minimum guidelines. And the minimum guidelines is that the injured determines what the repair is. The injured must also direct where the resources go. So although this commission is going to come up with a series of proposals and, and proclamations and all that. The community has to have tremendous amount of input of what's, of what's elected. What is priority to the community might, not, might be different from priority to the commission. Right. So you have to have that organic thrust that's guiding all of this. Not saying that the commission is not talking to the community and not understanding the community, you know, that has to be part of it. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Howard, for coming to Asheville. Welcome. Uh, I looked at the Evanston housing program. There was some $25,000 for down payment vouchers or whatever. And initially it was about 16 to 20 recipients. Is that pretty much accurate in the first phase? 16, that's correct. Okay, so my question is, uh, in November, we have a $40 million uh, initiative on the, bunking, uh, in the, uh, on the ballot for housing dollars coming from uh, the Buncombe County Commissions. Uh, we want to be just as strategic as, we, as possible on any resource allocations that we have. That's one question. Uh, how should we focus in on educating folks, uh, not only the vote for that fund who look like us, but also uh, to educate the county commissioners about how those resources need to be directed into a housing voucher program or a down payment program specifically uh, for reparative justice. And I have another question too, and I'm going to uh, cease once we do that. Uh, also, looking at existing programs that are directed towards our community when the data shows us that they've been ineffective. How should we, what strategy should we use besides the data 
to redirect those resources back into our control in our community. Because there are a lot of programs that are given to NGOs uh, and other organizations that are not led by black people, especially economic development programs such as business loans and counseling and all of that, and housing funds. And it does not create wealth in the black community. That's the end of my question. I'm sorry. <laughs> so you just described what this commission must do. <laughs> That's the goal of the commission. Uh, I can't speak on how to, how to direct resources, where you, where you need to direct resources. That's going to come out of your work. It's going to come out of the data. Again, I said the data is going to direct where, where the resources are going to go. It says $40 million in housing. Yes. You'll look at the various ways in which uh, blacks are not being uh, uh, given the opportunity to have affordable housing or to have housing quick period. And that will determine how, that, how you would suggest that money is, is directed. The second question, um, refresh my mind, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the resource allocation to existing NGOs. Right, so yeah, so one of the things that when I wrote in um, laying a foundation of local reparations that one of the purposes of this local work is that you might have to create structures that receive those resources, whether it's out of this commission or the stakeholder project, something outside of that. Because we know historically that resources from the federal government, from the state government, are not administered by us. You know, uh, the, the, the last money around uh, the rental assistance, people who had, couldn't pay their rent because of COVID. All that money was funneled through white organizations in Chicago. I don't know what it was like here, but it wasn't in our community. So that has, to be a, that has to be a primary purpose of this commission going forward, that some structure, structure or structures, it may not come out of the commission, but you have to support it. Again, if it grows up organically, you have to support it. We have to be the ones who deliver our repair to our people. Right? Yes. That if, if you get $50 million and it's all going through white hands, that's not reparations. It could be, you know, could do some, some, some good work, but it's not cessation and guarantees of non-repetition. It's not halt stopping that illegal administrating of our community, that colonial administration of our community, just like it's the colonial government. That's definitely not right, and that has to be in the forefront of our minds when we're engaging in local reparations. We have to, as you stated, uh, I'm glad you brought it up, we have to be purposeful on creating structures. When those federal dollars come down, they're going to come down to somebody, right? Are we talking trillions of dollars? You know, states getting, you know, two, three hundred billion dollars, you know, over time or whatever, but that money should flow through our hands. We should be <laughs> orchestrating it and determining it. And if you start here in Asheville, you build a structure here, then another city in South Carolina, 
Mr. Howard. As you may know, in writing rep, rep, excuse me, reparations recommendations, we've talked about how part of those recommendations will include documenting the harm and describing what's happened. And certainly we want to have a local focus on how the harms have manifested in Asheville and Buncombe County. I'm wondering how can we utilize your and others' work who have already documented harm across this nation and other nations so that we can utilize that material and not reinvent the wheel and focus our efforts on the proposals as well. Sure. That's great. Um, the commissioners, uh, Mr. Mullins' work, uh, the state of Black Asheville, should be a template from which you look at the effects of genocide funding apartheid. The California Commission report, although it's a state report, they looked nationally and then came down to the state level. I think that's something that you can do, that you don't have to go and revamp. I mean, I would take the historical, because it applies to America, I would take the historical word for word and say, you know, we borrowed it from California, it's given credit for it. And that part you don't have to reinvent. Uh, there's uh, Urban League put out a State of Black America report, you know, it looks at statewide current picture, not the historical, I mean, national, nationwide, so you can look at education on a national level from their report and break it down. So there are uh, resources available uh, that you don't have to have all this uh, uh, independent research done on, on every level. Can we um, um, take a break of just five minutes, um, just to stretch our legs and clear our minds? And put one more question in, question in, no favor of my right here to left. Yeah, we, if we could take a five minute break, just a very short break, um, and, and come back. But thank you, uh, Mr. Howard. I appreciate you.
we can say, yeah, no, think about it. And one of the things that just really is, you know, we always say we're going to, let's put things on the back burner. I mean, every time we put things on the back burner, it just gets further and further back. Instead of saying, let's put this on the back burner, why can't we just move forward with it, finish it, and keep on going? I think my biggest impression is that this is really a, a long-term operation. It's not something that's going to happen quickly. Um, so we need people to be committed to it and, and come up with good ideas, but, but also recognize that no change is going to happen overnight. It's going to take a while to, take a while to happen. One of my concerns is that not only do we have expert advice from all over the world, but I don't want to want us to leave this whole thing without having expert advice from us. And basically what I was saying, from some local or someone in the state of North Carolina for whatever reason, uh, one of the ones I thought about today, I went to my pastor, and, which is John Grant, Dr. John Grant, and I said, what does the Bible say about reparations? And so he thought about it and he said, let's talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so at some point, uh, the two of us will sit down or he may do a Bible study on it. And so I just want to know from, and then you can do the same thing not only from Protestants or Catholics to uh, Islam, to all the religions, to make sure that they have their input on it. So local important is going to be somewhat important to me at some point. I'm just going to say that all of our presenters that we have had have been just awesome. I have learned so much that it's just been awesome. I'm ready to get down to the grass patch and what we're Thank you. I haven't seen all of the presentations, but what I have seen, um, I think it's time to take some of the initiatives and things that they've done in some other areas. And we have plenty of experts right here at this table that are native and they have gone through things that can help lead us in the right way. And it is time to um, take some of those things that she said off the back burner and start <coughs> making some action steps. <coughs> well, I have enjoyed all of the speakers and they have been very informative. And something that every one of them have said to us is how important this is and and that us being a part of this uh, reparations internationally or nationally is, is really big. So that's something that everyone has said. So uh, with that, I want to say that, uh, like Mr. Howard mentioned earlier, is how do we get the community involved and when do we start that process? I think we need to hear, as we spoke about, people with expertise here in Asheville, we have those. He mentioned Dr. Mullins already having the work done. Let's start bringing that to the table and bringing the community to the table and um, and hearing what they have to say and what they want from us as well. So I'm, I'm ready to get that piece added and, and going. Thank you. Uh, both of the uh, presentations were very uh, engaging and very instrumental. They gave us a template of what we need to probably go forward with. Um, I like the fact that the last speaker talked about that we're so much alike nationally but we're so different. And with Asheville being a place that is so different that locally we have to dig a little deeper and a little harder because we don't have 
all of the massive tools that a large city would have. So understanding that, I think that now it's time that we start to move forward and focus on what we can do now. And that's what I got from them. The community is important. So I'm encouraged that as I go back into my community, that I talk to the people that where I live about what's going on, <coughs> how it is, and that's going to educational and to inform the community. So I encourage everybody to, to do that with their community. And that, that would be a start to help for <coughs> reparation and revenge. Um, you guys are so bright and you've said everything that I would have normally said, so I appreciate you being before me. Um, the one thing that I, I would like to say, we expect our experts to come and give us good information and the type of information that validates us and what we believe, so that's been good. I'd also like to appreciate, I think it was the Reverend Ogilvy, one of those old Southerners that wrote that history book for us. And what I really, really appreciated, it was in large print. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, with anything, we can't expect any more out of something than we put into it. And I have always been the type of person who just can't hand me something and expecting to accept it. Um, I've already started to put reparations in its place in our community. I'm always out uh, looking for my community. I don't have children, but I have all of them mine. So um, I enjoyed the uh, books we received. I couldn't put them down. I read them on my lunch hour. It was a good read. It took me no time to read it. And I have just truly enjoyed being a part of this. I've learned a lot, and I want to thank the county and the city for this opportunity. Thank you. Hi, um, I definitely appreciate the um, the presenters um, that we had over the past month. So um, very valuable <coughs> information. Um, and he touched on a subject tonight um, that just always runs through. Like, so while we're waiting for funding to be approved um, and touched on policies and procedures like that doesn't take much just coming to the table and just deciding what to do right um, what's right so um, that's just one of my things of what can I do now and like Miss May says um, I'm out in their community so for those that's not tuning in to those that don't read the report um, just to show that we're making progress here is to go out and ask them their thoughts like get their opinions and what they think um, it should look like because they're all the ones that, you know, that needs to hear this and that'll um, be receiving reparations. So I think that thoughts definitely are just as valuable as everybody's at the table. Um, so I know that I can start there, so I'll just hold myself accountable to do that part. Thank you. All right. Oh, hi, Mr. Oliphant. Yes, I would like to focus on the establishment of a structure to manage the reparation process and set and establish milestones. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm fine. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
to compel resource allocation. Thank you. Thank you. Andy? Um, <clears throat> Asheville and Buncombe County put their word out. Um, 